Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Dude, it's so early. (laughs) We started a little early this morning. It's early. We're we're both kind of measuring how how much our brain is functioning based on percentages. I'm I'm at like a 60%. Ooh, you're doing good. I know. I asked Sarah this morning, I said, how's your brain working? Because this is what I don't want to forget today, and I feel like I'm working at half speed. You know... I I also maybe I'm just gonna blame it on this, but I just I I feel like being on the hormone therapy has made me want to sleep more. I used to be kind of a morning person, and now I'm like, oh really? I'm like I'm more of a late. Actually, person. now that you're saying that, I think you're right. And today's gray, so that didn't yeah, help either. That, yeah. When that, the alarm went off yeah. at five, I was like, it's dark yeah. outside. Yeah. I'm not ready for this. We also still have little kids that come into our bed, and there's just something about I don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> There is just something about a li- cuddling a little person in the morning that makes me not want to get out of bed. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, I cannot stand to cuddle. Oh, I like I like to just wake up to their little snores. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you're a better mom than I am. No. I'm like, I'm like get out of here. Like, I need my space. It's For the most part, during the night, I don't want them to be in there. But it's in the morning. They usually um, come in at like five o'clock in the morning or something so it's not like the whole night you're you you have littles though your kids are younger than than mine yeah mine are getting to that age now where they enjoy they actually enjoy sleeping in so our our guest is on the east coast that's why we're doing this earlier yeah so anyway we are excited because today another survivor named allison is going to join us to share briefly her breast cancer story and her experience with having a hysterectomy and ophorectomy after she was done with treatment yeah we're gonna start with you know what what Allie's doctor's recommendations were for surgery and then we're going to talk about what her recovery was like and how she felt after her hysterectomy and her ophorectomy and then we'll wrap up with what life is like now and what she wants others who are considering surgery to know. But before we go into all of that and talk with Allison, let's hear from our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. Hi, Allison, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I We started uh, the conversation saying that this is early for us here in St. Louis. And I said that you were on the East Coast, but you're actually not. You're in Florida, right? Yes. But that's still Eastern time. Barely, but yeah. yes. <laughs> so you're, you're an hour ahead of us. So it's not quite as early, but still early for you as well. 
Yeah, it's almost eight thirty. Yeah. There you go. Are there you? you go. Are you? We were kind of talking, you know, right as we got started. Are you a morning person? Not necessarily. <laughs> I would. I function better if I get up early, but it's just making myself do that if I don't have to and I don't have yeah. the structure. Yeah. Well, gotcha. you you have kids, right? I feel like kids make you have to get up early. Yeah. <laughs> they they do, but uh, so I follow their schedule. So you know, we're, I'm kind of rolling out of that summertime uh-huh. schedule into the school time schedule. So it's a transition, but I'm actually adjusting just fine. <laughs> yeah, there is something about school time structure like of your day. It just I don't know, I do I enjoy a structure where you like have to get up at a certain time. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I I, I, the best part about summer is that I don't have to get the kids up for school. Yeah. The best part of school is that I have an entire day to get stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. They're out, they're out of the way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, let, let's dive in, Allison. Sure. When were you diagnosed with breast cancer? What was your official diagnosis and what was your treatment plan? I was actually diagnosed on my 37th birthday. Oh, great. So that was, I know, I felt so bad for the nurse. <laughs> you <laughs> felt bad. You yeah. felt bad for yeah. her. <laughs> that had to give me that news. But she, so she did, I will say, she made it sound way more positive than it was. She said, mm-hmm. oh, it's just going to be like a little bump in the road. More than likely, you have, you know, low grade. To, you know, a lower grade tumor and it's early in the treatment. It is estrogen positive, you know, HER2 negative, which is a more treatable tumor. So, you know, you're probably going to do some estrogen therapy. She didn't really, I think, prepare me for everything that was going to happen. So mm. I don't know if I, I don't know looking back if I appreciate that because it wasn't as overwhelming at first, but it was, you know, as I went through all the treatment and they kept kind of adding things to it, mm. it was like, well, I thought this was just supposed to be a little bump in the road. Yeah. You know? And my, <laughs> yeah. my mom, my mom had a very, very, very small tumor that was found early when she was in her late forties and she took tamoxifen for 10 years and did really well. So I thought that was all that I was going to have to do. Mm. They, they recommended no, no question about it. Go ahead and get the double mastectomy or young you know there's Mm. may as well get both breasts oh interesting was there was there chemo and radiation involved they so i had i ended up having multifocal breast cancer so i had three lumps when they went in they Mm. didn't show up in the initial ultrasound but they showed up in the mammogram and or no i'm sorry they didn't show up in the mammogram but they showed up in the mri i think it was an mri Mm -hmm. And they were real, real close to the chest wall. And then my mm-hmm. other one was kind of closer to the armpit. And when they went in to do <clears throat> my mastectomy, they that, that was the that were going to do that first before chemo because it wasn't a as a super fast growing tumor. It wasn't very large. They just wanted to go ahead and get it out. And then they looked at it in there and they found out that it wasn't very much in the lymph nodes. You know, maybe. It could have been a micromet, but they weren't sure. So, you know, they, at the time they weren't recommending radiation, but then when the pathology came back, I, ha- I did have to meet with the radiation oncologist mm-hmm. and she said, she did say to me, you know, there was a micromet. It was really, really small. I can't remember exactly how small, but it was like 0.2 millimeters or I forget the exact terminology away from recommendation for radio you know, radiation. Mm -hmm. She said, she said, I know, I know. (laughs) So she said, if you go across the street, I was at Vanderbilt in Nashville. I was living in Western Kentucky at the time. 
and I received excellent care there. It was a dedicated center. That was all they did. I felt very confident in, in the advice that they were giving me. And she said, I really don't think that the negative you know, impacts of the radiation are, are worth the potential risk. So I opted not to do radiation, mm. but my Oncotype score, I believe it was 22 or 23. I can't remember. And my oncologist did recommend chemo. So I did Taxotere and Cytoxin. Oh, you and I had like the exact same treatment plan. Oh, yeah. 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 So it was like, what was it like every two or three weeks? Yep. Uh huh. Every, I think it was mm-hmm. every three weeks at four rounds. I ended, I opted, yes. I was really borderline too, and so opted to not do radiation. So yeah, you and I were very similar. Oh, we had wow. almost the very, yeah. the same oncotype score too. <laughs> we're like That's cancer crazy. twinsies. I was just going to say, you guys, <laughs> breast cancer sisters. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to hear what you ended up doing. I did the chemo. It was, it was manageable. You know, you felt mm-hmm. kind of crummy for a week and then you mm-hmm. kind of had those couple of weeks to bounce Recover. back a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't think it was, it was terrible. I was definitely very tired and didn't feel great, but I yeah. managed it and it's a distant memory now. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause how long ago was this for you? So, oh, that's a good question. I believe it was 2000, the fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would make me forty, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we're. It sounds like it sounds like we're um, just a couple of months apart because I was diagnosed in February of twenty eighteen. So, so I'm curious. This is in twenty eighteen, yeah. and then you just recently had a total hysterectomy. I had it in January of twenty twenty, so okay. right before everything locked down. Oh, I, right. Two years after your diagnosis, did your doctor bring this up to you, or did you bring it up to your doctor? How did that conversation start? That's a good question. I was at Vanderbilt and I, it was after my chemo treatment, I was going back in. So I think I finished around September Mm -hmm. or October and the oncologist recommended that I, because I was so young, she, she recommended that I do the tamoxifen. That was what they had said. Initially, I do the tamoxifen for the next few years, she wanted me to wait until I was 40 because I was young and married and the tamoxifen was more manageable than this other treatment that was coming up. And it was something that they had been learning about in these trials. I believe it was text and soft, the text and soft trials. Hmm, Okay. And this was a newer recommendation where they were finding a 6% greater protection against recurrence mm-hmm. in this women the with- aromatase inhibitor and the yes, ovarian and- suppression. Yeah. Yes. But the man that I met with said that he didn't really want me to be on the Lupron injections for very long because they were seeing that it was causing bone density issues quicker than mm-hmm. having the ovaries removed. Okay. So, so, so is that when he, is that when he brought up having your ovaries removed? Yes. Okay. And how did you feel about that? <laughs> It was very, at first I didn't really think it was going to be that big of a deal. Uh, I did a little, I did a little bit of research, but not a lot of research because at that time, and, and I still do ultimately feel like I had to make the decision that was going to give me the greater chance for longevity, especially with three younger children. Sure. And I, you know, I couldn't really, I don't know. It, that was just, it weighed so heavily on that end of it that I was afraid to even consider you know, any reasons not to, because, you know, I had my oncologist telling Mm me, I had him telling me, you know, it's, and, and he did say, he did say, if, you know, if you were my wife and he was a younger 
man and probably in his late thirties, early forties. And he did say, you know, if you were my wife, I would, I would definitely say you should do this, mm-hmm. but he did say, and I noticed that you said hysterectomy. I did not have to have a hysterectomy. He looked at all my history and all my, uh, he, he looked at my blood work, genetic testing and all that. And determined that I wasn't at risk for cervical cancer or uterine cancer or anything like that. So he said he did not recommend having everything. So your genetic, your genetic tests came back negative. Did you have genetic testing and it came back negative? Yes. I did the 23 panel, the panel that does all 23. Nothing that they know of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Nothing they know of now. Well, and that's Sarah and I, Sarah and I should clarify this. Dr. Lynn, when she was on our podcast, said this a couple times, but I think it's worth mentioning again that your uterus doesn't produce any hormones. Yeah. So having your uterus removed is not going to have any kind of side effect to it, like mm-hmm. like having your ovaries removed. You know, yeah. removed. So when you right. take your ovaries when you, you take, take your, your biggest supplier of your body's estrogen, right, and yeah. progesterone yes. and, Which, t- yeah, and and testosterone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's where it's all happening is in the ovaries. So you didn't need to have your uterus removed, but that's really not where you see the side effects. You see the side effects with the ovary removal. Mm -hmm. So so your doctor recommends this basically just because he didn't want you to develop osteoporosis on the shots. He thought that the chance was less by taking the ovaries out. And so I want to kind of talk about what what recovery was like for you and how you felt afterward. But before we do that, do you guys want to do boobs in the news? Yes. Let's do boobs. Yeah, sure. Allie, you want to do boobs in the news with us? Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> okay. Boobs in the News is where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Bibs in the News. Bibs in the News. Bibs in the News. Okay, so it says, uh, <laughs> so when you need drunk food and the restaurant isn't open, you can always turn into this guy. So there's a guy who broke into Denny's in Indiana around 2 a.m. when it was closed. Oh, my God. Um, They headed straight into the (laughs) kitchen and made themselves some eggs. So apparently, like, going to the 24-hour grocery store wasn't good enough. Um, After they were done, (laughs) they left. But when they went back again then at 3 a.m., and they decided they were still hungry, so they made more eggs. So during their second trip, an employee showed up who was, I guess, getting ready to open up for the day and chased them off. So the estimated loss was one whole dollar for that Denny's. But it just kind of shows you that you should definitely be open 24 hours. Oh Denny's. My gosh. <laughs> what the, I was just that's what I was going to say. Isn't Denny's open who, 24 hours? Who chances that twice? I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's more than alcohol involved with that decision making. Probably. They're, they're being yeah. kind when they said he's just drunk. I think that dude was like <laughs> more than likely maybe doing yeah. something else because yeah. that is some really poor decision making. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's bad. How would you know how to work the whole like <laughs> fry table at Denny's and everything? I mean, they have a whole big kitchen set up. Like I, I would be intimidated by that kind of kitchen in that state of mind. So in college, I was a big Denny's fan. Like mm-hmm. that's that's where we would end up. The well, cut- that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I probably just wanted to use the yeah. Yeah. Like college was like we had a country kitchen and we had a Denny's and that's where we would end up, you know, for our 3 a.m. snacks because yeah. they were open. Tw- so like the moons over Miami was my oh, go to. We were big yes. Waffle House people. Were you Waffle House? Yeah, we were. We were. We called it the Waha. The Waha. Yeah. Anyhow, right. that's, that's the boob. boob. <laughs> boob. That, that is a boob. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. So let's let's kind of talk about how did you feel after you woke up from surgery? So I think it was three teeny little holes, like one in the belly button and two on the sides. And they went in uh, laparoscopically and took them out. You know, obviously waking up for anesthesia is always kind of a little difficult. Touch and go. 
<laughs> yeah. So I did have that issue because they have to inflate your stomach. I did have that mm. painful gas issue where mm. your chest hurts mm. if you stand or you sit a certain way. So I kind of had to lie horizontally as much as possible. I did read afterwards, this would have been helpful, that some women had relief with either Beano or Gas-X. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I don't know if that, how that would work. Cause I thought that was an intestine, you know, a gastrointestinal drug, but supposedly it works. But so we, we've talked to a, a few women now that said the same thing. Like when they had the mm -hmm. surgery, they woke up and they were fine. Like mm -hmm. they actually, some of them were saying, Oh, you know, wow, this was really simple. And mm -hmm. they were walking within a couple of days and then they started noticing symptoms, you know, maybe a week or two later, were you similar in that way? Or was it different for you? You know, I don't recall having any symptoms later. If I'm, I'm being honest, I have a really hard time also differentiating between what could be side effects of the aromatase inhibitor and side effects of actually having the ovaries out because mm. I kind of took them both at the same time. Okay. So, okay. You were taking, you were taking, you were suppressing your ovaries and then you stopped doing that so that you could take your ovaries out. And you're saying that for you, the symptoms were very similar. So it was hard to see where one started and the other stopped. Is that what you're kind of yeah. saying? Okay. That's really interesting yeah. because some yeah. women were taken by surprise because they thought it was going to be exactly like the shot and the ovarian suppression. And then for them, it was more severe, but you're saying that when you did it, it you felt like it was kind of par for the course, very similar. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, the gynecologist did say that since I had been, he said, you know, some women do well with it. Some women don't. He said, you know, since you seemed to fare well with the injections, you will probably more than likely have a similar response with mm -hmm. the ovaries. And that was your experience. It was, it was mine, luckily now long-term down the road. And you know, that's where the kind of, I, I try not to think about it. <laughs> I try to kind of pray that they come up with easy solutions to these long-term issues that we're supposed to have, you know, the heart issues, bone density, the brain, you know, functioning, all the things that happen to women as we age that are now coming tenfold mm -hmm, sure. <laughs> to me. And obviously there's already visible, I've noticed already visible signs and aging in my skin and, you know, my, my joints and I definitely feel older. Yeah. I, I think the aromatase inhibitors that I'm on definitely have aged me. And I, I call it the cancer look. Cause I think you can tell maybe mm -hmm. not at first, mm -hmm. you know, like when somebody first starts on it, but then over time, I, th I, do you think you can tell? Yeah, Sarah? I think, uh, you know, your, your skin just does look like, you know, I hate to be like <laughs> a little bit wrinklier and I get jolly and, and you like get, I get like little like jowls yeah. now you hold lines a little bit more and your skin looks drier and it just doesn't look like uh, that youthful, like glow that no. you have where it's like, oh, oh I'm so glad you said that about the jowls because yeah. <laughs> I was doing my you know, sometimes I will sit at my table and use one of those little mirrors that kind of zooms everything in. And Ooh. I was doing that in yep. the natural light because I was like, I just want to sit down. You know, sometimes I, you want to like sit down to do your makeup so you can actually, you know, do a good job. And I was like, what is going on yeah. right next to my chin? And I hate <laughs> yeah. to be superficial, but I think it's important. Hey, listen, to... we've been through enough. We don't yeah. need some jowls at the age of 40, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I was ready for the jowls when I was turning like 70, not freaking <laughs> 40. So I think it's okay that we're not happy about it. That's, yeah. that's my, oh my gosh, two cents well, on that. You know, what's so funny. I actually just did some research and ordered this 
facial exercise book and improve your jowls. Well, you know what? You need you need you need to do some before and afters on that, Allison. And if that works, then we'll be we'll be talking about that on the podcast. I will send it to you. Hey, anything to help out other women going through what we're going through, because it's just it's it's one of those things where you 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 teeter between like, yes, I'm so happy to be alive because I know so many young women Mm -hmm. that don't survive this terrible disease. And I know that we have things down the road that we have to look for. But, you know, it's like in the meantime, though, can we have some quality of life? And I'm you know, I'm all about trying to figure out how we do that. Yeah, (laughs) I think I'm hopeful that the medical community is going to start yes. spending more time on quality of life because women are living longer with this disease and managing it longer. Yes. And so I think they're realizing that, hey, they do have to live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm hopeful that they're they starting are. to do that. So on that note, have you had yes. any side effects regarding like the procedure that you're, you know, kind of managing yourself now? So absolutely. Joint pain, fatigue, it's hard to know if the brain fog is from being a mother and, and coming <laughs> yeah. off the of chemo or whatever, but definitely there are issues, you know, there are vaginal issues that m- a lot of women deal mm. with. I think pretty much all of us, I think yeah, pretty all much us. all of us, whether mm-hmm. you're on ovarian suppression or whether you've had your ovaries removed, I think yep. the painful intercourse is like the biggest yes. deal mm-hmm. that and lack of desire. Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, absolutely. And there absolutely is lack of desire for sure. So one of the things that I was kind of interested in talking, so you and I, when we were chatting offline, you actually are participated or have participated in a clinical trial, right? To address that issue or did I get get that right? So that's a good segue because you were talking about the medical medical community taking interest in um, quality of life. And I can tell you that without a doubt, the gynecologists and other, other doctors at the Mayo Clinic are very much interested in that. And, you know, they, a particular gynecologist that I'm working under in this study said she was just so disheartened by all the young women that she has that come and and not only young women, but older women as well that come in and they have these symptoms and there's, they can't, the, you know, the traditional route that women that are going through menopause take is estrogen therapy and and hormone therapy and hormone replacements. And we can't do those because it creates a greater risk for recurrence. So she found this study in France and I cannot recall the name of it, but they took a bunch of women and they did this platelet rich plasma Mm -hmm. therapy where they draw your blood, they put it in a centrifuge, they pull out the plasma, and then they do multiple injections actually in your vaginal wall. And what it does is the plasma is the, you know, the part of the blood that brings in all those platelets and it helps heal areas. Mm -hmm. So the, the theory is that it will kind of help heal and rejuvenate that area. But now I do want to make a distinction because several women in, and there's lots of great resources and Facebook is one of them because there's lots of groups where women can share their stories with each other. And a lot of the women on the Facebook group that I'm in, Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. It's the O shot. And it's not the same. The O shot is it, it it is the same technology, but it's very very minimal amount of plasma, and they only do like one or two or one. I think the my gynecologist said it was like one to five shots in a very targeted area that is meant to increase chances for orgasm. So like the O G spot, uh-huh. um, think think you know targeted area, yeah, versus you know 
30 to 40 shots that all are around the opening all yeah. around that basically improve the entire area. So you offered to be part of this clinical trial. Was it painful? <laughs> sort of. So, you know, I, I'm not going to lie because I, I don't want to discourage anyone from doing it because for me personally, it was absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. Of course, my symptoms weren't as bad as some women, you know, some women have in, clo- you know, their, their, their vaginas have already like closed up and they're having to use the dilators and mine mm-hmm. wasn't quite that bad yet. I had been using the Reverie Hyaluronic Acid Suppositories, having great results with those, absolutely worth every penny to get on the monthly subscription for that. And also, you know, topical stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, daily moisturizers and then lubes during actual intercourse. But this, this treatment, so they bring me, they bring you in and of course I brought my headphones and was listening to like calming, soothing music, (laughs) like trying just not to trying to just go to another place, but they did numb, you know, numb it topically. So I I wasn't supposed to actually feel the needle go in, but you know, when you get a shot and you just kind of feel that pressure medicine, yeah, that Mm -hmm. pressure. Occasionally I did feel some pressure, but it was temporary. Mm -hmm. And all in all, I think it took like 25 minutes maybe for the entire, you know, what to get all those shots so that she went slow enough that it wasn't super painful Mm -hmm. because she would do, I think seven different locations and then five shots in each location. Kind of like think of a clock, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. five at 12, five at two, five at three, you know, all the yeah. way around. And, but once they did that, I had very, very, very little spotting and it was a little sore. Was it just a one and done? Did you go in and have that done like one time and then you were done? So yes, I went in and had that done. I'm, I think about three months out now and I'm still seeing some of, you know, the positive effects from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do have a friend that owns a regenerative medicine company and she does PRP for a living. And she said that you're that in other applications, you know, elbow, knee, Mm -hmm. other areas of the body, typically you see results wane at about six weeks and that you need at least a refresher. And she said, some people see, you know, the benefits for forever, but you know, yeah. some people need to be, go back in for a touch up. But yeah, when people have done PRP for like joints, mm-hmm. you know, to like, can uh, you guys explain what PRP is for people? So who PRP don't know? is the platelet rich plasma. Okay. So it's just the, Sorry, it's the yeah. acronym was, for P, got the, it. you know, platelet rich platelet plasma. This is hard to say over and over, which is why they've acronymed it. But you can get it done for your joints to like re- rejuvenate like your labrum or, you know, any any kind of torn. It's it's a different option uh, over surgery or them cutting something out. So if you just need that extra little right. umph there. But from the research that I know about it, sometimes it takes like a year for that to fully heal. You know, when it's in yes. a joint and it's something a lot bigger, but I'm sure it's a little bit it's my, shorter here's, timeline. Here's my here's my guess, guys. This yeah. is my guess regarding this procedure and everything else that's out there. I bet it is one tool in a toolbox of tools yes. that you're going to have to do in yeah. order to kind of mm-hmm. get like a cumulative effect, right? Yeah. Like there's as much as we sure. want, as much as we want one thing, a quick fix, a yeah. quick fix to be like, this is the thing that we do for this mm-hmm. and it works hundred mm-hmm. percent. I just feel like, I think it's so interesting and good that they're, they're pursuing these things because mm-hmm. we need something. Yeah. We need lots of things. Absolutely. Well, and, and this is going to fix the feelings and maybe apparently help you like orgasm and and have the the feelings mm-hmm. of everything be better but it doesn't touch your drive it doesn't touch you know it's like again it's just it, a it's a, a part of the puzzle yeah 
But I exactly. think it's amazing that the Mayo Clinic is taking an interest in this mm-hmm. and trying to bring yeah. procedures like this to women for their quality of life. Yeah. Because it's now here's a question. Is that covered by insurance? See that good question. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem with regenerative medicine. And it is not covered by insurance. Of course, I got it for free because I was a part of the trial. And if anyone lives near a Mayo Clinic and they want to contact the gyne- <laughs> you know, the oncology or gynecology air, you know, department there to see if they're doing this, they're always, you know, I am have the impression that they need more participants. Sarah, so, you want a road trip? Yep, we're road going to Florida. Trip. Road trip. Well, no, Mayo Clinics in Minnesota. <laughs> well, there's a few, right? I, there's one in Rochester, and I believe there's one in Phoenix. Oh, I think. Road Don't trip. quote me on that. Well, of course, I'm. I'm, I'm I guess so. You could quote me, but I. <laughs> Jacksonville Mayo Clinic is phenomenal. I absolutely love it. If anyone lives anywhere near here, you know. Yeah. But the problem with the study is that you have to commit to multiple checkups in order to participate so it's not like (laughs) you can't just say oh okay i'll go and do the one injection you have to go you know for preliminary exams and then you have to come for follow-ups because yeah you know they're they're measuring they're taking data qualitative and quantitative you know it's a whole yeah it's a whole thing it's a part of a study and they and they've got to they've got to gather all their data to make sure they can help others better so so here's the million dollar question allison with everything that you've been through and it sounds like it's been through a lot but you've handled it fairly well do you have more peace of mind regarding recurrence now that you've had this procedure are you glad that you did it ultimately yes there are definitely days where i worry that i made a mistake and that i wasn't gonna have recurrence anyway and i've ruined my quality of life and I've possibly created, you know, the potential for harmful side effects down the road. You know, I'm doing everything I can. Mayo, again, they're great. I, I visit, had a visit with a cardiologist. They, they measure my bone density once a year. I take vitamin D for that. I take fish oil for my heart and my brain and, you know, other supplements as well. But, you know, there's, there's things you can do to help mitigate those potential effects. But I think ultimately, if I had to do it over again, I would make the same decision. Okay. So, all right. Is there anything that you want women to know when they're contemplating, you know, whether or not to do this procedure? Because there's some women who are going to feel like they really have no choice because maybe their genetic testing comes back and they're BRCA positive. And mm-hmm. so they know that they're at super high risk. And so, you know, once they're done having children, they're going to have to more. I mean, they don't have to. Clearly, yeah. they don't have to. Yeah. But a lot of women that yeah. have the BRCA gene decide right. to go ahead and, and have their ovaries yes. removed. But some women are like yourself and like Sarah and I. I, you know, we don't necessarily have the gene. And so we're trying to make that decision. Is there anything that you want women to know to talk to their doctor about before they make this decision? Is there anything you wish you would have considered or just any last advice? I, you know, I think I would definitely talk to your doctor about all the long-term side effects, you know, including the bone density issues, the issues with your heart, issues with your brain and your cognitive function. And, you know, if, you have other underlying conditions that would exacerbate those symptoms or, you know, I I don't know. I think there's a lot of things to consider, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and your doctor would definitely be the person to help you figure out if it's, if it's worth it. Am I, is it fair to say this, Allison? I think for, I mean, this is how I feel. And I think a lot of other women feel this way too, is that 
if if I know everything there is to know, then I can make a decision that I'm confident in. I mm-hmm. think that's why Sarah good, and I are good, ta- bad, and the ugly. Like, right, right. Everything. I mean, because that fear of recurrence is real, and mm-hmm. you know, especially yeah. when you have young kids, you really do make decisions based on wanting to be there for them. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. I think that a lot of women are going to choose to do this anyway for that very reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to be I'm going to take this hit because I want to you know increase my chances of being here for my kids i just think that most of us want transparency Mm -hmm. and we want a game plan Mm -hmm. so it's not enough for me personally to say well some women do well and some women don't do well and we'll just cross that bridge when we get to it it's like well if you're a woman that does not do well here's what we can do yeah you know is that too much is that too much to ask i feel like i don't know i don't think it is but i think that sometimes is and especially when you deal with oncologists i think their goal their ultimate goal is and I'm not saying that oncology oncologists are bad oncologists are amazing people but I think that you have to realize that each doctor has a specific goal and I think with them their goal is to keep the cancer from coming back and so mm-hmm. sometimes you have doctors that sort of neglect to be completely transparent about yeah. everything that's going to happen because they just want you to it's not that they don't care about the whole person it's just that they kind of compartmentalize that into their goal is to keep the cancer from coming back yep. and maybe they kind of skimmed over all these other things that are going to happen. So, well, and they don't know that they are going to happen. So for like you, for example, right. like you're, you having your ovaries out was very similar to having the shot and the ovarian suppression yeah. for other women. That wasn't the case, but for you, it was. So I think a lot of doctors are like, I'm not going to lead with the maybe. Yeah. Right. You right. know, if you transition mm-hmm. well and you do well with it, then there's no reason to, f- you know, cause fear. Right. So I think it comes from a good place. But I, I definitely I'm a I'm a Could girl. That, I'm a girl that needs a plan. Yeah. <laughs> I need to know, like, that there's a plan if if plan B, B. If the bad happens, plan like B. if the things that they don't right. want to happen, happen, you know. So before we wrap up for today, let's hear from our second sponsor. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule mam to make your appointment now. Okay, and we're back. So, Allison, we are really thrilled that you were with us today. Thanks for sharing your experience with everything that you've gone through and your decision-making process. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to help a lot of women. Oh, So we're happy to have you. Wonderful. I hope so. Next time, we're going to talk to another woman about her experience with surgery. And this is a fun fact. This guest is our very own Sarah Hall's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Until next time, guys. See ya. If you are a breast cancer survivor and you love Besties with Breasties, make sure you join our survivorship support network at faiththroughfire.org to gain access to exclusive episodes that are ad-free and uncensored.